talk? I'm a bit of an intuitive thinker, and I often think through my feelings. My youngest daughter, Aubrey, is more of a rational thinker and appreciates a logical approach to navigating and understanding life. And I asked her this week what topic or scripture we should focus on for Let's Talk. And she quickly responded and said, Dad, do it on God's love. Well, I needed to narrow it down a bit. And this week in Wednesday night Bible study, we just so happened to be in Romans 8, 31 through 39. This section is titled, Nothing Can Separate Us from the Love of God. And I thought, perfect, let's start there. Romans 8, 31 through 39, starting in verse 31, says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And who dares accuse us when God has chosen us for his own? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or commit calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What exactly is going on here? Well, this is Paul's conclusion to one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament. And as we walk down the Roman road in Bible study, he's taken a logical approach to justification by faith, adoption into the family of God, and now life in the Spirit. And life this side of the cross, but not without suffering. Yet Paul breaks out into praises in the form of five rhetorical questions, a very rational approach to appeal to the overwhelming feeling of fear and what suffering can do to our minds. And I heard a story this week, and there's a Vietnam War veteran here in town, and he is celebrating his 80th birthday. And when asked about his life since the war, he said, from the first day he landed in Vietnam, it was complete terror. His first thought was, I'm going to die today. I'm not going to make it a few minutes here as the bombs went off and the bullets flew around him. Complete fear of what he thought was the inevitable. But he survived, and this week he's celebrating his 80th birthday. I thought that was a good illustration for where we are landing in Romans 8 and what Paul's addressing with our suffering and glorification. That in Christ Jesus, we have hope. He promises that he is pursuing our good in our suffering in order to bring about our glory. And he has already supplied the blood of his son, that through the cross, God paid the highest price to initiate our glorification. What else has he supplied? He also already supplied us power through his resurrection. We are given his indwelling spirit. 
But we're not done yet. We've just begun, and we've just landed in the middle of a war. Don't worry. He supplied the assurance we need, too. And he swears by his sovereign promise to help us finish according to his will. And Paul could have stopped there, but he breaks out into these five rhetorical questions that dismantle our fears. Let's take a look at them. If an all-powerful God promises our good, who or what are we to fear? The answer is nothing that opposes us can stop his good for us. And if God gave up his most precious possession to save us, why worry about the rest of our needs? Something is only as valuable as someone is willing to pay for it. And the father gave up his son to show us how much he values us. Why would he supply everything to acquire us if he wasn't going to supply present help to get us through? Why would he put his spirit in us but hide his will for us? Why would he adopt us as children then not take care of us? He wouldn't. His love is deeper than that, and he can be trusted. What about the fear of approval? If God accepts me, whose approval do I fear? Psychology says our self-esteem is established by what the most important person in our life thinks about us. And if the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are the most important, and their approval is already given, then who shall I fear? I'm secure with unshakable security. And if Jesus, the judge, was judged in my place, why do I fear condemnation? Jesus would have to deny the scars that he bore to deny us. He cannot deny himself. And finally, if nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, is there anything else for me to fear? Well, we are still in the middle of a spiritual war, and there are real powers against us. But in the middle of whatever our suffering, the who that is for us is greater than the who that is against us. Second Timothy 1.7, he says, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. In 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out our fear. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the roots of your love would grow deeper and deeper into our hearts, that we may understand more and more how wide and deep your love is for us. Thank you for supplying everything that we need to finish. Thank you for your peace that fills the places in us where fear wants to invade and grip us. May we go out this week into the communities and introduce your love to a world in a rational way. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.